Welcome back to another brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carey, and today I am joined by none other than Adam the Scorpion Killer Sink. That's his kung fu name. What up? Nothing. How's it, how's it going, man? How you it's, doing? It's going great. It's going great. 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 Uh, Temple of the Scorpion, brother. Yeah. Well, they got to die. <laughs> they stay outside. I wouldn't have a problem. The problem is they won't come inside. And then and you try to breach my walls, you got to die. Is this about Kung Fu or about real scorpions? It's both. It's oh. about both. It's a life lesson. Really. I see. It's, I see. It's one of those things. You got to instill fear in your enemies. <laughs> and today we are joined by a guest. We haven't had a guest in a while, have we, Adam? It's, been, like, a, it's been a little while since been, we've had a guest. I feel like it's been a hot minute. We got, we got uh, Phoenix Gaming Legend pillar of the community con organizer jim miller what up legend no <laughs> uh, uh a tiny pillar little like a like more like a like a brick that holds it well you know well it, yeah. capstone if you will no, I'm just <laughs> oh my god i'm so tired guys how are you guys doing all right it was a it was a tough day at the office today so yeah, i'm glad like to be we all got off of work and we're just like uh, yeah it's one of those days time. man where it's just it definitely the whole podcasting vibe definitely feels like I'm, i mean i'm happy to be here i can feel all the muscles in my body like uncoiling as i'm sitting here in the company of my fellow gamers talking about games but at the same time i also feel kind of like i'm deflating you know <laughs> <laughs> um do, Adam, am I right? It feels like we've been up to like all kinds of madness again. I feel like this is just what we're saying all the time now. Is is that right? Yeah. Well, so normally in the summer in Phoenix, it's the the doldrums and the down season, and we've actually managed to kind of step a game screw, up, screw that up, and and yeah, we've been pretty busy. We've been doing all kinds of stuff. Always ramping up, Brendan and Adam. Always game. busy. So, uh, what have what have we been up to then? Who wants to talk about what they've been up to? Well, Adam, we, sure. Start, we start. had the uh, free RPG day that we ran out at the Game Depot in Tempe, Arizona. So we ran a couple of games out there. Uh, Michael Collette was there with us. He ran DCC. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He did. Brandon ran first edition Stormbringer. Oh, yeah, that was rad. And I ran Dungeon World. Cool. And how? what was your experience like? Did you have fun? Yeah, it was good. With Dungeon World, what I do for the con games and then these type of things is I just do one of the little two-page st- dungeon starters. Uh, I like to run the Shallow Sea. There's a couple of them out there. Shallow Sea is a really good one. Um, and then essentially, I just have a series of like 10 questions that I ask the players. And I just build the world uh, dynamically on the fly as we go. Yeah, and it always seems to work out. I mean, Dungeon World works out really well like that. But this is the second time you used Shallow Sea, and it was just a completely different game, right? Yeah, completely different than the last time that I ran it. And it's always interesting because I get people who have never played Dungeon World before, and they don't really understand the the give and take on the uh, narrative control that they have. And so it's very interesting watching them try to navigate that and, and how that works. Figuring it all out. Yeah, figuring it out and what they can do and how all of the, the interplay between what I'm doing and what they're doing and how they can change scenes and and the setting on kind of a moment's notice. And it's, it's always kind of interesting watching them go through it because the question at the end is always, well, how do you prep for this? And it's like, well, you, you don't really have you to. Don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. You just you let just, it go. You just improvise and go. And so it's, you know, because they were asking me, well, what are your notes for this? And I said, it's this little two-page printout, and here you go. You can take it if you want. 
they were kind of looking it over and trying to suss out, you know, how we had gotten to where we were by the end of it off of that document. I have totally done that. I've totally been there. Yeah. People don't get it. Like, yeah, you just have to flow with the, go with the flow of the universe and your chakras and kale and just trust in that. If you, if you've done enough gaming, then you know what to do. You know what you must do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, a, 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 a GM who's done a few sessions, you kind of know the the beats and you know when people are losing interest and how to bring them back in and you you really only need a page of notes right you now and if you you know and if you want to run like iron gm type of competitions and stuff for participate in them it's great oh, practice oh. for that iron yeah. gm's trademarked oh now my <laughs> ears Ow. sorry if you want to run one of those like uh one of those dynamically generated gm competitions <laughs> where they give you three <laughs> items that you then weave into a story it's good Good practice for that. It's a very similar type of experience. Oh, I forgot there was a thing about that, huh? Yeah. yeah. No, boo on Iron GM, up on Trial by Dice. Yeah, that's the uh, new hotness. Is that the new one? Yeah. That's okay. the new hotness. Well, that's that's what our fun, our our friends uh, Dungeon Punks are doing over in oh, is that Leeds. What it is? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, Trial by Dice. Yeah, TBD. Nice. Yeah. So, um, Jim, you did some uh, free RPG day stuff, I right? I did. I ran kids uh, kids with bikes. Um, which was a Kickstarter that successfully uh, funded, and it's kind of like the 80s throwback, uh, you know, Stranger Things, Goonies kind of a vibe of a game. And uh, it was really, really good. I really liked it a lot. There was, I had my doubts initially reading those rules about like if it was, you know, put together enough. But um, in the end, uh, if you just read those rules and just sort of trust it, like it all works out like amazingly well. That's a very simple system. With and the best part of that game was that like um, I played with you know people that were kind of like mid thirties, late thirties, so they knew all the tropes and and like they actually that was part of the fun for them is like oh yeah 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 no no I'm gonna play this arcade game and, and it's gonna take all my quarters and like they were doing that sort of whole bit where they were just really buying into the tropes of the eighties and and sort of getting to express that in a game through a character and that's a part of the game that i never considered and um and it made things running everything so much easier so it was really super cool and i think it's gonna be out soon so i like i totally recommend everybody get that game yeah i think it's on its way i think it's it's arrival is, is eminent yeah. right yeah and that's yeah and that's what i ran it was really cool cool um i as adam said i also ran i ran stormbringer out at uh, free rpg day and it was really great because Game Depot had us come kind of like sponsor their event sort of but when we, it's not like we really did anything we just kind of showed up and did the full metal RPG thing and you brought out the banner and we were kind of mugging and stuff and you know we, we wore the shirts and we sold some shirts and it ended up being like a really it, it had a cool vibe I yeah, thought it had, it had a, a really cool great vibe. vibe there's still shirts at Game Depot if you want to go get one there yeah yeah the convention pricing yep, is available pricing. At, yep. at Game Depot um so I, I ran Stormbringer 1 and fuck did I have a good time. God, that's such a great fucking game. I ran a uh, uh, little module that was inside Reliquary 1 written by Scourge. And uh, it's a little adventure called Sistinus. That's, uh, it, it, basically, it's kind of like it, the, the run-up is like blah, blah, blah. There is a mine that has a temple in it, and none of the people who are working the mine will go down there until you figure out what's going on with the temple, because they unearth the temple while they're doing the mine. And then you go down there, and there's all this fucked up shit in the temple, and you got to explore it. And because it was Stormbringer, I kind of like Stormbringered it a little bit. I kind of like he kind of paints it in this very kind of like black metal 
kind of feel like everything's like the whole interior just feels very very black metal every room that you walk into has that kind of feeling like a black metal album cover and that's cool as fuck and i, I think it works super well for um stormbringer but then i kind of tried to in my descriptions make it like try tried to inject a little bit of sword and sorcery into it so it wasn't just all all black metal i tried to make it a little less kind of eurocentric and a little bit more kind of just weird um and then richard richard played in that game and he uh he did super rad um just some great role playing and uh really just changed the dynamic of the adventure so that i don't think it'll ever play like that ever again uh i had this guy who i i had never met he came and sat at our table his name was david and that homie like brought it with the role playing it was like fucking awesome because in stormbringer you gotta roll up all these fucking characters right and so i had rolled one up this beggar you know and um it was <laughs> when you roll a beggar in stormbringer it's like your your character is like a walking skeleton you're like you don't have any stuff you maybe have some skills but you're like have no hit points you know and then you have to roll for afflictions and so it says roll for a d4 afflictions so i rolled the d4 i got four and i rolled lose one eye so i'm like okay then i rolled again it goes lose one eye so he had no eyes and it was like lose two two d4 fingers so here i rolled two fours so he had two fingers um and then he had some other afflictions on top of that he had another affliction on top of that and uh, I, I held the character. AIDS. You just get AIDS. I, I held the character up, and I was like, I was like, okay, this is the most challenging character here. Who wants to play it? And this dude, David's like, I want to do it. And it was awesome. His role playing was awesome. He kind of played it like, uh, like that character from the Three Hundred, like the oh, the deformed guy, with yeah, the, the hunch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like he was like this like cynical, but like very crafty like beggar guy, and it was rad what he did with it. He died. He did die in the to a trap as you do. And then one of our uh, listeners, I got to I got to meet um, William. He showed up and he was like, "Hey, I thought I'd come by and play." And it was like it was rad to have him. He did a lot of very characterful role playing. And at the end, when we were kind of doing our post mortem on the game, um, everybody was like really really excited about what he had brought to the table in terms of, like the richness of his character. So we had a a, a really fun time. I, I mean, for the, it was my favorite free RPG day. We'll do again, hopefully. Uh, our sponsors, Game Depot, will have us back next year to do that again. Um, you run anything else recently, guys? Uh, I ran a little bit of Tiny Frontiers with my son. That was really cool. Oh, neat. Cool. We just yeah. had Alan Barr on very recently. Bonus episode. If it's, it's the one right before this episode, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, you it's might. Really good episode. Like, Alan's really fucking cool. Um, yeah, so I had known, like, Tiny, Tiny Dungeon when it first uh, when it first came out I had some friends that were playing it like all the time and that's that's like what they talked about and it was like it's a, it was a group of, of girls that all played which I thought was really interesting it was like it was all girl group and they're like oh yeah we, we play Dungeon Dragons it's like oh cool which edition like oh we're playing Tiny Dungeons so like what's that and so that's kind of how I got introduced to it and my best part is, is, is like they always refer to uh, they can't do anything on Friday nights because they have to go get the Tiny D. And so that was like their thing. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's funny. Relatable. Um, yeah. And so uh, so I always kind of knew about it, but I never really sat down and played with it a whole lot. 
um, until like that the second edition Kickstarter hit, and I started kind of looking into like, well, how does this thing run? Because it seems kind of like sometimes I worry that games are like too light. Like I love you know I, I, all the time I love light role playing games, but this like I was like eh, maybe it sounds like it's a little too light. Uh, but then the more I started digging into the rules, the more I thought that was really cool. And and it, but you know it didn't really kind of grab me in any particular way because I mean there's there's a lot of ways of doing um, um, dungeon stuff and like I'm really about sharp swords right now for that feel, but um, I started digging into Tiny Frontiers. Yeah. And for some reason, it's the same core mechanics. It's a lot of you know stuff that's just sort of ported over, and 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 just sort of made you know it fits the mold. Like the thing about that system is like you can you can mold it around whatever you want, and and it works. And for some reason, when I saw it as the space iteration of it, like it clicked hard for me. I was like, oh my god, I love this. And so, um, well, I think that on some level, when you're looking at a fantasy game, there's all these other competing fantasy yeah, games yeah. that are like very well established in your mind. Yeah. But one of the problems I keep seeing, and I think it's less of a problem now, yeah. is there's no good generic space game. It's like everything has an IP attached to it. Yeah. People don't necessarily want to deal with particular IPs, you know? Yeah, and that might be it too. And it, it also be might be just like it might be just like uh, like uh, fantasy fatigue like everything is fantasy so it all just kind of like you just kind of mull everything through the through that sort of filter um, but yeah maybe it is because it was fresh and, and sci-fi and I loved it and, and it was just really fucking cool and then uh, my son is really into Fallout my nine year old is really super into Fallout so he wants to do like a post-apocalyptic game so we're looking at a game called the Rad Hack which is a black hack basically post-apocalyptic game and it's a really cool hack except there's a lot of subsystems for different like classes so he was having a hard time with that so i said well let's try you know i know that uh, tiny wastelands is coming because i backed it i was like but let's try and see if we could do a tiny frontiers and in like you know three minutes we made a character and five minutes later uh we were just kind of rolling through like a little solo adventure and um everything clicked and worked just like magic like everything just worked super super well uh the mechanics are flexible enough that you can you know, make rulings. Once you get sort of what the core mechanics of how they operate, you can make rulings like right on the fly of how to do a particular thing. And it's, it was amazing. So now like, I, I can't like, I was already like really wanting tiny wastelands to come out. But since I started getting more into tiny frontiers, now I'm like super excited for it. And then I just read some of the new rules for tiny supers and they're even better. Like it's crazy. Like he somehow tweaked it to fit supers and Tiny Supers, I think, is going to be like a really impressive game mechanically. Solid. That's coming out on Kickstarter pretty quick. Yeah, he just posted, if you follow him on Facebook, he posted the rules for like how speedsters work, and it's fucking mind-blowing. It's so perfect. It's really good. Nice, nice. Adam, you got to play something a little bit off the beaten path, didn't you? I did. I got to play a level four DCC adventure run what? by Michael Calais. It yeah. wasn't a funnel, dude. No, you I got I, out of your funnel. I got out of the funnel. I turned over my uh, I turned over my spot at the Friday night role playing club to Michael Collette, and he wanted to run DCC for us, so he grabbed a uh, a module. Can't Which remember one? the name of it. Oh, it's damn it. The, about essentially like the idea is someone close to you has died um and you have to bridge the gap between the living and the dead and there's uh this um god of death and then the goddess of the moon and uh, the, the same moon goddess, goddess from the other one no a different one so not the one from the funnel a different moon goddess um 
I'm not sure there's like an internally consistent like deity hierarchy in that there game. There sort line. of is, but it's really fluid. Like yeah. So uh, I was playing um, from the funnel I had run through with him before. I had two characters that were in that. I was there was a star C. I had um, Rufus, and then the person that he had gone to save was Johnny Blossom Fingers, his elf friend. Um, and so this time I was playing Johnny Blossom Fingers, uh, trying to go save Rufus who had died. Uh, and then the other people wanted Tragic. to... Yeah, it was terrible after they had found happiness together. And so um, some of the other people had their own reasons for wanting to go get him, one of them. <laughs> so I was playing that. Uh, and I was, you know, his his lover. And um, one of the other guys I was talking to, I was like, yeah, we have to get Rufus. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, why do you want to get him? He's like, oh, so I can kill him. And I'm going, but he's my, like, husband... I'm not going to let you like, kill him. I'm not going to let you bring him back from the dead to kill him. Right. And I said, this makes no sense. Like, why are you going to bring him back from the dead so you can kill him? And I had that moment where I was like, I'm just going to hit you with my axe. And I was like, it's probably too early in the game to devolve into like PVP. So I held back. You should have pulled a Ben Bailey and just got right in his face and started yelling. No, but. I decided what I'll do is I'll just wait till the end, and if I'm still alive, I'll spell burn everything and just blast him, nice, like out of existence. Nice. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And yeah, so we were trying to get into this moon goddess temple, and I could not roll to save my life. It was pathetic. I tried three different times to get three different ways to get in. And failed every single time. So um, at that point, and I'm sure you you witnessed it, I, I devolved into murderous axe mode and just started <laughs> beating people's faces in with an axe because you know my character is playing a nobleman and it's all these like peasant guards who are barring him entry to this temple. So he just decided, well, it's time that you guys learn your place in the hierarchy of our society and and went a little axe crazy. As now, one does in DCC. So, so that's like a two-parter, right? Like, Michael's yeah, going to pick it up and finish it? Yeah, we haven't finished it. We we ended it after I had basically just um, murdered two of these guys. And then and then uh, the, the other one who was surviving, who had, you know, dared to, to strike me, I I cut his eyes out. Because, um, you know, he's got to learn a lesson. Yeah, and you're not so supposed good. to touch your betters. And so um, I'm chaotic, by the way. I'm not playing a lawful or a neutral character so. you know you can be a, a piece of shit and still be lawful right i yeah. mean yeah nothing wrong with that like you too lawful is too lawful you know all right yeah. so we'll see what happens next time we, we've got to go get some blade and then we've got to go rescue the raven queen's daughter and then we've got to bridge the gap and then go negotiate with the entity of death so we'll see how it goes sweet uh, at that same time, I was running a um, uh, little convention uh, Trail of Cthulhu game for uh, for my group. It's one of the ones I'll be running at Gen Con this year, and I wanted to have some practice with the material before I got there. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want to play, I'm sorry. All of my seats at Gen Con are sold out. I know I posted them on Facebook. I hope some of you got them i hope i'm not just playing with a complete bunch of strangers but it speaks to the power of pelgrane's sort of ascendance and the quality the very very deep quality of its games that all that, i mean if you go through the pelgrane uh, thing on on gen con it's all sold out anyway so i was running this uh game called um oh it's not written down here it was it's called facts pertaining to the house on hill street 
and it's um it's by uh gareth Ryder hanrahan and i swear to fucking god dude because we know this guy we know him he's the guy who wrote eyes of the stone thief he's the guy who wrote cthulhu city and um so he does this little module for you that you can run it in like you know three to four hours at a con because our uh, game club really goes about two two and a half hours i wasn't able to complete it but i swear to god he's on my list of developers to watch the guy's genius i facts pertaining to the property on hill street is like one of my new top modules it's so good it's just like you you said as as a GM. I was I was like I was like I printed it up and I was like all right I gotta get this thing ready to go because you know how you know how you read these things and you're kind of like all right here's how it's gonna go whatever um let me just read this shit what's in all the rooms and stuff and I was reading it and I was getting like Cthulhu chills I was like oh I'm getting the chills reading this fucking reading a module. It, you know, I'm like, this is creepy as fuck. I love it. And then I got the players all sitting down. I was like, I wonder if they're going to feel the the eeriness too. And we're all playing in the game store. And the way that their characters are all written, because there's pre-generated characters, in order to work inside this scenario, the way that he wrote all of those characters to interact with one another is priceless. It's like, seriously, on my list of modules to run, if you get a chance to play in or a chance to run uh, Facts Retain to the House on Hill Street but Gareth Ryder Hanrahan for Trail of Cthulhu, you got to check it out. It's so good. And then on top of that, that was my first time taking Trail of Cthulhu out for a spin, which you might be like, Brendan, why would you volunteer to run 12 hours of that at fucking uh, 16 hours, actually? 16 hours of that at Gen Con. You never have even played it. Well, because I have a lot of faith in the system, that's why. And I, I was not let down. That game's brilliant. That game, it's like it's like smooth creamy butter. It's like it's just like boom. You're just you're just you're just putting it on the bread. You know, boom. It's so easy to run, it's so fun, it's so immersive, it does everything you want to do. We had so much fun. We weren't able to finish the uh, the module, but you know what? There's another Friday coming up next week. We're gonna do it then. We're gonna finish it then. I can't wait to do it. Check that out, and then we're gonna be doing after that a little a module that takes place in Cthulhu City, which was, as I said previously, also written by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. So, um, that was also a cool time where we met a new guy, uh, Kelson, who was new to the club. I had met him at uh, one of Tempe's like best, most choice bars, and he had actually seen my my uh, my cut, my FMRPG cut. And he was like, hey, man, do you do role-playing? And I was like, hey, you should come out and check out this club. And he seems like a really cool guy. So I'm really happy to have him in the club. He will actually be coming out and playing Stormbringer with us in a couple days. So um, cool. on to the part where we talk about what we got. Anybody buy anything good re- recently? Adam? No? Uh, I picked up stuff at Free RPGJ. I got uh, Eldritch Cock, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I got... Uh, Did the- you get Eldritch Cock? Yeah, of course. Good. Sweet. If everybody, there's cock to be had. Yeah, I'm going to get. Everybody got. Cock. Everybody got the cock. And so uh, that, and I got Wrath and Glory to check out uh, and see how that works. That is a huge departure from the previous Warhammer role playing game. So I am very interested to see how that game works. I will mm, probably try indeed-ious. to run it uh, at some point in the near future just to kind of get my feet wet with it. It's very weird. It's the sample characters they give you. There's like a guardsman, a commissar, uh, and inquisitor uh 
like a tech priest and a space marine yeah and a, and a sister of battle and i'm just going well why are all of these how how would all these people get together to begin with that's the conceit of this game is that it's it's it's, it's you can play mixed parties it's not like this hyper focused uh uh premises of the right which is other weird games. because this space marine should be godlike essentially and as from what i can tell he's he's not and so that's interesting to me uh, it'll be interesting to see don't you have uh one of the developers coming out to crit hit yes we do so if you have questions just head over to crit hit yeah i seriously uh, (laughs) that's one of those games that i i want to see if i can talk them about or even maybe get in on something with it because it just i want to see how it works there are slots open right now i was just looking at the schedule there's slots open one one of her games and this developer is a female it's june Women in Gaming Month, so I'm I'm super stoked that she's going to be a crit hit, and Full Metal RPG is going to be chasing her down. I want an interview. I want to I want to know about what went into this. Yeah, I just as organizing, I don't know if I'll have time to. So I'd hate to like. No, sign I'm up organizing and go, too, uh, but we're time. we're going to do it. We're we're. Oh no, make I mean I don't know if I have time to play in her game. Oh uh, yeah, we, I can find her and talk to her, but I don't right. know if I have time yeah, to. Play so her you're game. talking about uh, Wendelin uh, Rachel? Rachel? I think it's Rachel. I can't. Sweet. I'm bad with last names. But yeah, she's. Um, uh, we became Facebook friends uh, not too long ago. She's she's a friend of somebody who I met at Rincon, uh, who's actually coming out, uh, who's just like fucking just the funnest GM you'll ever play with. Um, this guy named Camden who's coming out uh, from Denver, and so Rachel's coming with him, and uh, and she is just like super intelligent and super sweet. Like just my every interaction I've had with her has just been like the best. So well, I'm looking forward to meeting her at last. All right, so some shit that I bought. Uh, I got my Cold Shadows uh, Kickstarter in the mail. Thank you, Alan Barr. Um, so I got this, and I got Cities in Shadow, which is pretty sweet. I'm stoked for that. Um, I was really interested in what Alan was talking about with his the solo play version of this. Yeah, I am too. Because am too. Um, Heather keeps hitting me up to do a solo game with her, and I've just never really done that. And so maybe I'll run this for her because Heather has hit me up and she's like, I want to run Vampire the Requiem. I'm like, what? She's like, no, I want to run Vampire the Requiem. She's like, you're going to play in it and Adam Sink's going to play in it. Did she hit you up? Yeah, she did. (laughs) Nice. I want to solo run Risen for somebody at some point, but it's... Wow. I've just never been able to get somebody to agree to do it. Well, you should get Heather to do it. I want to check it out. Um, A good solo game, side topic, is... uh, um, No side topics. Moving on. No. Yes. No. No. So also... Murderous Ghost. Murderous Ghost. Also, I got... uh, Because I got Mutant Year Zero, and uh, I picked up Zone Compendium 2, Dead Blue Sea. That looks pretty sick. Uh, That's ben, a good book. Ben I Bailey and I, it. we have this like deal with each other where we buy when we buy lots and stuff online, we give each other the 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 stuff that we have doubles of, so that we're always like that we can always make use of the doubles. So he he recently bought a huge a lot of rifts for some, he, that guy's on a rift bender yeah i don't yeah i know i, I was know talking about rifts even a year or more yeah, ago dude, he's been on, he's, he's been on and yeah. off it it's it's weird it comes and it goes what's hey, happening ben anyway he got a copy riffs of rifts japan rifts and so i i inherited a copy of rifts japan that he didn't need then uh my homie richard motherfucker hooked it up um he apparently bought a lot of role-playing books off of some dude for like pennies on the dollar, and he just he brought over this giant pile of second edition Shadowrun. There's a couple of first edition books in here too, but um, it, it most important to this collection of about half a dozen books is uh, Shadowrun second edition softcover core book, core book. which um, Mark Boardman 
of Dungeon Punks has explained to me on numerous occasions is the ultimate edition of that's, Shadowrun. That's sort so, of like the one that hit really big with that, second edition. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, none of the bullshit, but all of the problems, or at least some of the problems worked out. So um, I'm stoked to kind of sink my teeth into this. This is like one edition I've never even looked at. Um, and, you know, Mark keeps teasing me and uh, uh, Stephen... Wolverine Blue's balls. He keeps saying he's going to run for us online, and then it never happens. But now there's no excuses, because I have the second edition core book, bish. You need to get on it. So, um... We, Adam, do you want to and remind everybody about our sponsor yes we are sponsored by the game depot in tempe arizona if you are looking for full metal rpg shirts at our convention prices they have some of those left game depot in tempe arizona on mcclintock and southern it's over by the yc's back behind the mcdonald's next to the Habitat for Humanity store that went in over there, interestingly yeah. enough. Also by the janitor supply store. But and the, the janitor say supply about store the and the Planet Fitness. But uh, So there's a, you know, you can go get a workout. <laughs> go to Game Depot. Go get yourself a bowl of delicious Mongolian barbecue food. Ooh, that, that sounds just, like a solid that's your whole day. day. It's a that's solid day. It's, it's, it's like date night. I think you just do a date, Baskin night. Robbins date night with yourself. Lot, so oh, yeah, know. there is a Baskin Robbins. There is so a Baskin Robbins. Too. You can just, and then if you need to go grocery shopping, there's a, there's a little surprise. But yeah, yeah, Game Depot in Tepe, Arizona. Let them know that we sent you. If you're looking for shirts, go in there and grab a shirt. If you're looking for books, go grab a book from them. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. if it was any of the ones that we've talked about that have inspired you. Especially if it's one of the ones that has inspired you. And do let them know that we sent you. So we've had some real movement on the patreon this month adam oh boy we have it's crazy june was on some level almost as big as our first month which i think was april and um i just want to say thank you to everyone who pledged this month and uh those who changed their pledges uh we're ecstatic we're over the moon the stuff that you are um giving us the opportunity to do for you is uh unprecedented in our in our tiny weevil little minds and we can't wait to get to work on some of this stuff now um horrorism do i promise i promise we're just mere hours away from that hitting your email boxes and if you're listening to this it may be there already. Well, I, it really depends on how little sleep I've gotten. But we're I, I'm working on it tirelessly, and you're going to get it here. You're, the email ones... is already out, so you should have that. Oh, if you Adam, didn't get it, Adam, just let me know. Adam's just like, he's like, oh, well, survivalism's already out, guys. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Done. It, I, you know, I, I got to I gotta wear it. I got to wear it, man. I bit off more than I can chew this month. There's just no getting around it. I'm tired as fuck. Um... But there's still a couple days left in June. If you're listening to this, there's probably hours left in June. And you're going to get that fucking thing in your email inbox before June is over. That is my promise to you. Now, last thing about the Patreon. Second to last thing about the Patreon. We're still... We've crossed the threshold to our actual play. We are doing uh, a poll for our actual play. If you haven't voted on that yet, and you're listening to this... And it's the 30th. I think you might still have a few hours to get in there and place your votes. Okay? Right now, it's very close. There's a lot of different... It could go... It's anybody's game. It could be anything. Okay? So get over there. Log into your Patreon. Place your vote. If you're not a Patreon member, now's a great time to go become one. Place your vote for what the actual play is going to be. And Adam and I will be bringing you... We'll be producing the actual play in July. We bring it to you in August, the month of Gen Con. 
we were very stoked for that. And now, with no further ado, we got the newest th- the newest pledges for the second half of June. Wolf Mungus increased his pledge from seven dollars to nineteen dollars. Thank you, Wolf Mungus. You're a fucking superstar. Then we got fucking Zach Benj at the tabletop radio hour like a boss coming in at a $50 pledge what sick bears yeah then uh, we got our friend William Babbitt who we met at uh, Free RPG Day it was great meeting you man it was great getting to know you you came in at $7 that's a strong pledge thank you we're happy to have you welcome to the cult and that is our Patreon for June what do you think Adam is it time for a break it's time for a break it's time for a break. Let's do this thing. And we're back with us, our special guest, Phoenix Gaming Luminary, Jim Miller. Yo! Here to hit us up with some crit hit goodness. With some crit hit goodness, yeah. What's up, the crit hit man? Well, we are getting ready to, it's almost that time of year, we're all going to get together and play some games. It's going to be really good. Um, You know, things are moving, all the, you know, a lot of the merchandise is in, Uh, you know, we're finalizing a lot of the stuff that we need to get ready um, I just went over uh, the layout with the uh, with the hotel, so everything's looking really good, and it seems like everyone's really pumped. Um, we switched to a new system this year where we're doing like uh, pre-register. So last year we we tried an experiment and it didn't work so well. Like it could have been better. Um, so <laughs> crit hit <laughs> is a continual <laughs> experiment, and sometimes the experiments have human consequences. Hey, you know, what? like Richard Newby, yeah, scarred for life, scarred for life. Sorry, bud. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so we hold him when he cries. Um, we uh, so we we switched over to a different system um, because we didn't want to newbie anybody. And oh yeah, and so we went with uh, online pre-registration for Kickstarters, and uh, that was a little experiment to see how that went, and it went amazingly well. Um, we as soon as we opened up, within the first I don't know like two hours. I had the numbers at one point. We had like 50 games signed up for already. Like um, 50 you know, different people had signed up on games. And so that was like in the first two hours. So it was, it was incredible. A lot of the games um, already sold out as much as is going to be allowed on the pre-registration, um, which has caused a little bit of confusion among some people. But, you know, uh, the, the, the deal there is that like the pre-registration is capped at 80% of the tickets. Um, so you'll see that there's tickets available, but you can't get the tickets for them. That means you just got to show up and put your name on the sheet and then, uh, you're in that slot. Um, so the pre-reg went really well. We opened up uh, registration to all general admission people. So if you bought a ticket online, um, you're able to go in there and pre-register for some games. Um, and uh, and again, people are kind of concerned because they're seeing that a lot of stuff is sold out. It's only 80% sold out. So 20% of the tickets are still held back for the day of people to sign up for the game. And that's just sort of to make it fair 
for everybody. Um, you know, Kickstarter's got a little bit of privilege there because they made the convention happen. They made the event happen. So uh, they got 10 days pre-reg. Then people who buy online, they can as soon as they get their tickets, they can go ahead and start pre-regging for stuff. And to combat all of that, even then, we still have another system on top of it where we're going to do a muster system this year, which those of you who have been to RinCon in um, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, know how that works. You basically, you show up, even if a game is sold out, you can put yourself on standby because invariably people don't show up to games that they sign up for, which opens up a slot for you to go in and jump on a game. Now, that they do that in other cons, but what I understand that they do a little bit different at, 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 at RinCon that we're going to mimic is that... Uh, the muster area is all in one general area for everybody. So you can quickly see if, you know, a game has open spots and you can just walk over and get in on the game. Or if the game you want is full, it's easy to sort of have like a backup game to get into. So that's that's going really well. And, uh, and yeah, everybody's pretty excited. Cool. Sounds right. Uh, you're organizing those games, aren't you, Adam? I am. I am organizing the schedule of games. We banged that out, got that done in about three-ish hours, yeah. and so they're all set in there and out on the site. Solid. Um, we're in the process of scheduling the uh, lightning talks Panels. right now. Yeah. Um, I, I just figured out how to get into that site and um, get the spreadsheet thing that I need to make sure that I know where like everybody's going to be like yep. with the, where the GMs are going to be. So I don't schedule them to be in two places at once. Uh, so that, that all should be done next week, which will put us right up against the beginning of the con. Pretty stoked about that. You know, so it's always a good, it's always a good three days. Uh, I mean, it's three days now. I mean, yeah. because, because last, last year we had kind of like a little, like, like a social kind of like you know, a couple of some beers and right. some, some, some burgers before, before on Friday night. Now there's actually gaming on Friday night, right? There is. Yeah. So the first two years we got together in the bar cause that's kind of like the, the trope of, of, you know, games is uh, adventures start in a bar. So first two years we got in the bar, we hung out, we had beers and burgers and everybody socialized. Um, just because of the way that I, cause we're doing RPGs across, like most of, if it's not D and D or Pathfinder, it's in a hotel suite. It's in a living room suite. So you're going to be in a living room to play. And, um, the way that it just worked out was I had to get the rooms on Friday so they can be ready for Saturday. So why not throw some games in there? Because some people don't necessarily want to go to a bar. Like that's not their thing. That's not their scene. So we have games on Friday going on and, um, for the first time so so that's that's happening and and then the main stuff happens on saturday and sunday killer sounds great yeah do you have anything else you want to talk about well since, uh, since, since you have the floor and you got a couple more minutes yeah so um by the time that this drops um we should have everything finalized for uh the credit experience to go to game on expo which happens in august uh, 10th 11th and 12th i believe and so Credit's going to be there doing all the scheduled board games and tournaments. We're going to run a couple of RPGs. Uh, we're going to have a couple of special tracks that we're putting together with uh, very curated sort of tracks of uh, board games that we're going to be running there and a couple of RPGs. And, and we're, we're really excited to like be a part of Game on Expo because they're a huge, big video game convention. And they only grow um, every year they just get bigger and bigger and it's it's super cool because I love retro games so they'd have a big retro game presence there and um, and they really want to up their game and, and, and try and have sort of an all-inclusive game on expos where you go to play every kind of game that you can think of and that's what they're going for and the people who run it are 
super nice. They're super community kind of people. So they match a lot of the same values that we have. And, um, and yeah, so we, we, you know, we got asked to go on there and help out and, and we are, and it's going to be almost like a mini, it's almost gonna be like a reunion of all the, the people that did stuff at, uh, at Phoenix comic fest this year. So it's all like the big heavy hitters and then crit hit shows up, um, for the people that run gaming in Phoenix. So it's going to be really, really cool. And then after that, um, in January, um, we are going to have a second Crit Hit event called Crit Hit Winterborn. And that's going to be basically a mini version of Crit Hit. We're still working out all the details. Um, but it is going to be um, another event. It's going to be most likely about half the size of Crit Hit, um, but uh, all the same sort of content and the same sort of uh, curation that we do for everything to make it really special. And that's going to go in January, which will coincide with the Kickstarter for Crit Hit 4 in 2019. Solid gold. Solid gold. That sounds great. And it won't be death hot in January. No. Yeah, no shit. Like, (laughs) if you're thinking about coming down to Phoenix to do some fucking role-playing, some of our ass-state slash ad-country listeners, that's the time to do it. Because let me tell you, man, fucking Phoenix in January is beautiful. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It is fucking gorgeous. It's time to be here. That was the original plan for Crit Hit from before year one was to have a July and a January event. I talked about it often, how I didn't get a chance to do the second event. So now in year four, we're going to go into, we're going to do... January is going to be sort of a big, uh, like, you know, it's going to be a mini version of Crit Hit, but it's still sort of a kickoff party for the Kickstarter. And then, you know, we're going to meet in July and there's going to be a Kickstarter in July to fund the January event. So um, it's going to be kind of a thing where we get together um, twice a year and it's going to be great because it's the weather is perfect then. And it's the weather's actually got somebody inquiring about coming out as a guest who I really want to have out, but I won't say anything to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is critical, you know, because sometimes you talk to people and you're like, Hey, would you be interested in coming out to Phoenix and hanging out and doing some role playing? And they're like, isn't that where, um, the, the weather's like a blast furnace on your face. It's like, yes, actually it is. It is, um, completely it's like living on the surface of Mars. I found out a guest that we asked for crit hit won't come out because it's too fucking hot. (laughs) Makes sense to me. Yeah. I can't blame him. That's cool. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, Jim. And now we have a segment, special segment, listener questions. We got the mailbag. The mailbag. Mailbag version five or something. It's the mail. How many times have we done this? Uh, I don't know. Not enough. Yeah. This is called um, You Guys Give Us Content. Yeah. (laughs) So thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. Our first question I had on my Instagram came from Ed Chuck Devil Monkey. Who asked, will sacrificing an animal such as a whale get a question moved to the front of the line? Well, I'm assuming that you did that. And the answer is clearly yes. Whoa. Whoa. You were compelled by the power that you could not name or understand. It's true. Sweet. There's power in the blood. All right. Brendan, well, what do you got? Okay. All right. So um, I have a question here from our friend Scourge. He, uh, he wrote me on Instagram and he hit me with a query that is near and dear to my heart, so I just really wanted to weigh in on this really quick. And he says, what is the most played out adventure seed slash trope slash character design seen today in gaming? Now, I think that this means a lot to um, Scourge because he is in the development game. He's he's like us. He's like just getting started in the development game, and he's, and he's pushing. You can tell he's pushing. He wants to be... He doesn't want to just, just, just ride the coattails of what you know everybody else is doing he wants to to be out there 
And these are the kind of questions people who want to be out there have to ask themselves. Now, um, here's my answer. The most tired fucking thing in all of gaming, the thing that makes me want to saw off a shotgun barrel, put it directly into my mouth, and then pull the trigger, emptying my brain pan against the wall, is the way that every fucking adventure begins with everybody getting called into a room and then told what to do. Okay? It's the oldest thing in the world. We get this from Tolkien. We get this from video games. There's this certain kind of like, well, there's this attitude like, oh, it's that's the way it's going to be. So we just have to accept that that's just the way it's going to be. And it's such it's such a trope in our genre that people take it for granted. People will just write something at the beginning of a, of a module or at the beginning of a venture where they go, oh, blah, so-and-so calls together the players, doesn't really matter how, but then they tell them to do this thing. And it's old, man. It's tired. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Uh, there is such a wealth of experience that role-playing has the potential to mine, and people are defaulting on it. They're just defaulting on it. Um, I was listening to a different podcast, and they were talking about White Wolf modules, and they were like, oh, name the best White Wolf modules, and then he paused. This was, this was at a panel, and then he goes, see, you can't think of any because they all suck, and then there was some chuckling from the audience, and that's actually not true. It's actually not true. White Wolf actually, while overall its modules were not the highlight of its line, it wrote at least two very, very strong modules. And the strongest of them was Giovanni Chronicles 1 The Last Supper. And that does not begin with a bunch of hobbits meeting a, a fucking wizard in a bar and then getting some fucking instructions. It, gets, it begins with a bunch of people being called to dinner. They're being called to a dinner and they don't know why, right? But there's no character... Later on in the adventure, there's a character that, in order to keep things moving, starts giving them out orders like a robot or something, and that sucks. But in the beginning, everybody's brought together for some other reason entirely. If you look at um, facts pertaining to House on Hill Street, that does not have the, the group of characters being called together by like a wise old man with like white hair and being told like, I need you to do something for me, and I will, for the for three gold pieces a day, I will pay you to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's tired. And and as, as a designer, I personally am looking to get away from that kind of shit. And I would like to challenge my other designer friends and people out there in the industry to also get the hell away from that shit. What do you guys think? I agree. I agree with that. The other one would be um, missing persons. It's always mm. a missing person. So either villagers get abducted or a f- old friend from college ends up missing or, you know, it's, uh, you know, a family member gets abducted. It's, it's a missing persons. Like that's the other big hook is in, in adventures. And it, and it doesn't work most of the time if you think about it because, it, it, you know, like why would strangers care about this? Or you can have some loose thread of like, oh, you knew them in college or something like that. But even then it still boils down to it's a missing persons case that turns into like – you know, this big action movie sort of thing. Well, I I think that kind of what you're talking about is sort of what I would consider to be like the secondary trope problem, which is um, which is what I kind of think of in my head as like um, NCIS role-playing game, you know, where the players are essentially become 
like it becomes everything gets reduced down right. to a procedural yeah. everything yeah you know um this happens a lot in in vampire in world of darkness games oh the prince calls you in he has a problem for some reason his hands are tied and he can't have anybody else investigated except for the art gallery owner the rebel punk and the guy who lives in the park with a dog you know what i'm saying like okay where where it doesn't matter when that trope and they use it over and over and over again almost to the point that i think that i think people are sort of in on the joke now is dcc a lot of modules start with like missing villagers like it doesn't you know it doesn't really matter it's always sort of missing villagers and i think like it's kind of funny now that like like when i like when i run modules for dcc um it's it's kind of the in joke it's like oh like more kids are missing or more people are missing yeah who's missing guys but it kind of works in dcc because it's about tropes and being sort of very tropey so i don't mind it as much for that but for everything else i do yeah when, when i when i sit down to a vampire game and like uh the opening scene is introduce your characters and then scene two is you're summoned to the prince my eyes just kind of want to roll and i start checking out adam you have any thoughts on that or you want to go on to the next one yeah, i'm just really tired of the fetch quest like go here fetch the MacGuffin, bring it back because i said so because i'm the king and i'm also really tired of the like tragic anti-hero figure um i feel like that's kind of played out and overused it, it it's also very 90s um and i've just gotten to the point where i'm tired of it and i'm tired of seeing it you know it's like everybody's like oh i'm gonna be elric or i'm gonna be spawn or i'm gonna be drizzed and it's i don't want to if i never see that character ever again I would be perfectly okay with it. I'm just kind of tired of that genre. Yes. And I'm glad you weren't talking about the band Missing Persons because they're amazing. Oh, yeah, no. Everybody likes them. 80s band. Do you, do you have a question there, Adam, or do you want me to spit one? Me sure. Sp- I have a question that I can fire up in one second. It is from Viking Blast. With how many games you guys run, how do you prep for a session? Still a newbie DM, and I probably spend as much time planning for a session as we do playing, which feels wrong to me. Here's um, where we fight. Here is where we fight. Fight me. It depends. Uh, if I'm running, like, Dungeon World, I hardly do any prep for that because it's a narrative give and take. So I just kind of come in, and I roll in, and I go with it. If I'm running a module, I will typically read through it. Um, and then before I run that, segments that night i will read through that again and kind of figure out roughly where it's going to go so it it depends on if you count the initial read it's maybe as long as the session depending i don't know um probably not though it's usually just kind of a refresher and then getting in and running it and then if i'm doing my own thing and designing my own game setting or world and creating everything whole cloth there's times where i will take two or possibly even three times as long as the session kind of setting everything up and figuring out how I want to go. And I used to be a lot worse about this with um, vampire and games in that genre. Uh, But that was kind of my go-to for those because I had to kind of sit and figure out the web um, before I would run it and try to anticipate what was going to happen. You know, it's really what works for you. Session light prep is a way to go. Um, and if you are doing that narrative give and take, uh, the players can take a lot of that burden off of you. So if you feel like you're over preparing or it feels wrong, I would encourage you to try one of those more freeform narrative style systems. Um, and that will relieve some of that pressure from you and you won't have to spend as long prepping and you get to spend more time running and or playing. The more math that's in your game, the more prep you're going to have to do. 
if you're running Pathfinder or D&D 3.5 or even to a great lesser extent D&D 5, you're going to have to spend some time at the table, like building, building encounters yeah, building and all the encounter, that. Yeah, building the encounter, but if building you're just running combat, man, Jesus. combat takes forever. So you can just throw together like two combat scenarios and call that a session prep. But I mean, back in the day for 3.5 and Pathfinder, like you can't throw together encounters because if you want, you're like, well, oh, is it is it balanced for the party or is it one step above or is it two steps above? And like, what's the challenge rating on this monster? And- well, see, I never got that. Like people always said that. Like people always say that. And I never understood that because I used to do heavy prep. I used to do like super heavy prep, but never the challenge rating thing because it's in the fucking book like i don't get what people are doing well the thing is, is the cha- doing it wrong, challenge or? ratings could change very easily right. like oh i'm gonna I, I have an illithid but then i want to put some class levels on him so that changes his challenge rating right. then he needs to have minions and that changes the challenge rating yeah but it's all right there like it's all real it's not complicated stuff you just go boom 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 this plus this plus this okay boom we're good roll with that and and i would just take that whole cloth like and because i was too busy writing everything else that the challenge rating part of it was always the easiest part. Yeah, really. it depends. Uh, the challenge man. rating wasn't always an effective way of gauging. Unless you're making up your own creatures, then yeah, then you're right. kind of fucked. No, right? dude, I, I never did that. I, never I, did I that. used to put hours into building encounters because it was like, uh, I mean, I had a group of very like highly proficient players, and I wanted everything to be challenging for them, and that meant that there had to be a balance of like. Um, the geometry of the room, the locations of the traps, and how the traps work. Traps have their own challenge rating, and they add to the they add to the uh, to the encounter. Uh, the challenge rating of the of the monsters inside, and then what kind of treasure? And then oh my god, that's really where time can get get sunk is in building treasure. Oh, I always just hand wave to treasure. <laughs> like you have uh, enough money, man. Well, I, it's hard to do that with um, three point five and Pathfinder because. Uh, those systems assume that they're getting certain magic items. Yeah, at certain there's levels. a magic item economy that you have yeah. to account for because if they oh, yeah, if yeah. they're not keeping up with it, they'll be underpowered. And if you're just like Monty hauling it, they will be completely overpowered. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, so that part yes, but like the like the 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 bookkeeping of how many gold pieces like all right you get 432 gold pieces no fuck that you like you you're moderately rich now yeah but that's what they're using it for is to buy the magic item so that they can become insanely good general i would just do super general (laughs) things for that like if i thought they needed that particular magic item to get forward then they could buy it they had enough money uh, that was always like like that and encumbrance were the two rules that i always hand wave yeah yeah I'm, I'm, I'm an encumbrance hand waver as well but i'm i have uh so you know because i've said before i love rules like games and i love story games where you just sort of run stuff off the cuff um i did this experiment a while back um where i took um you know sharp swords and sinister spells was ostensibly an osr type game and mimics sort of an osr type feel and i took a lot of the principles that i had been uh, using for Dungeon World and all the Powered by the Apocalypse games, namely stuff by Marshall Miller, who's the guy who did The Warren, and he has these things called Dungeon Starters, which is a certain format for how to how to put together an adventure. And I use that to put together sort of an OSR adventure, and every time that I've run it, it works super, super well. And on top of that, I uh, read a book called The Lazy Dungeon Master, which basically tells you like you shouldn't be taking more than 30 minutes to put together any adventure and here's how you do it and it goes very succinctly through how to structure a narrative that's going to work basically with the the presumed system is like dungeon dragons or pathfinder but it, it shows you how to put together these things very quickly and easily and, ha- and where to take the shortcuts so that you're putting together a cohesive 
story that still works within sort of the framework of those games, which tends to be more com- rules-heavy, complex system. And uh, who wrote that again? Uh, that's a guy named Michael Shea. Michael Shea. Yeah, a lot of people uh, mentioned this book, and and I thought it was kind of hype. And then I read it, and I'm like, no, it's it's real. It's a legit uh, great resource for GMs. Where does one get the book? I, I got it off uh, off Amazon. <laughs> you can, can you get it on Amazon, or is it like a drive through thing, or Lulu? Uh, or? You can you can get them on both. And if I remember correctly, it was like super affordable. It was like six bucks or something. Like it was nothing. It cost no money at all. And and it's worth way more. Like my only regret is I don't think that there's a print version of this. Yeah, I think I it's PDF only. Yeah, I would have uh, I would have paid twenty twenty five bucks for because it's a short book, but I still would have paid like you know twenty twenty five bucks for it. Well, we'll um I'll see if I can wrestle that a link to that up and put it in the show notes. I think it comes somewhere in between Adam and Jim. Like the fact of the matter is is I'm known for overscheduling, and I'm known for burning the candle at as many ends as I can get a flame going. And so I often find myself prepping the night before or the couple hours before the game is supposed to start. And so I always put in a lot less work than I want to. But I remember back in the day when I was like a teenager, when I was in my 20s, and I used to just, to me, to me, one of the richest parts of the, of the role-playing experience was the prep it was so fun it was just so fun to write npcs and to write backstories with to write long descriptions of cathedrals and shit that the fucking players might not even ever encounter and draw a little dot on the map that was keyed to that description and all this other shit um and sometimes i miss that like i miss that along with the experience of like having a lazy Sunday and just sitting down the hardcover, not a hardcover, like a softcover source book and just reading it all the way through from front to back. And I feel like as my life has become more complicated and the world's become more complicated, those kind of simple pleasures are more elusive now than they've ever been in my life. So um, when I was doing uh, prep for Montreal by night, I never ended up running. I was taking like a really serious trad like, oh, I'm writing a ton. I'm going to write a binder full of shit for this game. But then I never end up running it, and I end up running, like, a bunch of fucking Lamentations and stuff like that that is seriously like, oh, I prepped for that the night before the session. I put in 30 minutes to an hour. Maybe if things are, like, crazy bonkers, I have two hours, three hours to put into prep. But, I, I mean, I think, again, this is kind of like what I was saying at the beginning with your Shall See, Adam. It's like the more gaming you do, the more you just kind of instinctively know how to do this, and you don't really need tons and tons of prep. I think I think that's part of it is is you have to you have to run a lot of games, and you have to have games go badly. Mm-hmm. And on top of running a lot of games, having games go badly, you have to and and like this is something that I've been pushing on on GMs lately is you have to go try other games. You have to go if you run games like I love running games more than I love playing games. Yeah, me too. So it's hard for me to sit down and play another game, but you have to force yourself to be uncomfortable and play more games that you don't understand or know, so you can get a feeling for how they solve problems and then take all that back to your game. Because that's that was like the biggest takeaway that I took from like. I'm going to run an OSR game using basically story game methodology, and it's it, and it's, it's flawless. It's perfect. Um, let's see. Looks like we still we have we have plenty of time. We have plenty of time for another question. Let's go to one from our f- good friend Michael Marines. He uh he's a local guy. Uh, Adam and I actually played Shadow War with him. Like what was that a year ago? 
Yeah. A little bit more than a year yeah, ago about, now, I guess. Yeah, this is like a year and a half oh, or so. Oh, boy. So, uh, Michael writes us, and he says, pros and cons of theater of the mind versus minis on the tabletop. <laughs> and then our friend, uh, the Fenris Wolf, I think both Michael and the Fenris Wolf are um, are, are Patreon backers, but uh, uh, Fenris Wolf says, I second this question. And um, to me, this is this is real easy. Fuck minis, get them out of here. Don't even. There's no. There's really. Don't bother with that shit. Theater of the mind. If you are running a game that won't let you do theater of the mind, get rid of that game. That game is not helping you. That game is dragging you down into some kind of board game mire. That is. That it might be fun. We've all done it. You know, I started out in high school. And we, you know, it used to be fun to get out, make a, make the little map, and you know, you get the 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 grid or whatever, and you got your little guys and you paint them, and that, there's something fun about that. But here's the thing, dude. If you want to do an elaborate board game, the market is full of very elaborate board games with lush miniatures. Those things are not hard to come by nowadays, especially not like they were in like fucking 1995 no, or whatever. No, when I was tons of them. like Descent is like a gorgeous game. I mean, that's like that's myth. like an old school one. It now. is, yeah. Like, myth is gorgeous. If you've ever seen Myth, that's a beautiful game. With that's Kingdom game. Death, yeah. Gloomhaven is the one that everybody is super hot for right now. Wouldn't play a crit hit. People, people are fucking bonkers for Gloomhaven. Um, it's expensive. But, but too. The, the point, the point we're, we're is, away. the point is, is that you can you can get at these things real easily. If you want to play a tabletop miniatures game, there's plenty of those in all different varieties. You can do fucking post-apocalyptic cars. You can do sci-fi guys. You can do fantasy guys. You can do zombie guys. Whatever the fuck you want to do. But if you want to role play, if you want to role play. I feel like you owe it to yourself to fucking push all the little toys to the side and use a system that allows you to adjudicate by saying, oh, yeah, you got enough room to run up on the orc and hit him. You know, if you're sitting there counting out the squares and worrying about like threatened areas and all this other junk, you know, you know what really crazy makes me crazy is when I go on Instagram and I see these guys with their huge Dwarven Forge sets. These huge sets. It's like, look, I understand that there's a aspect of this hobby that's like all about creating that that kind of those essentially dioramas, you know. But to me, that's not role playing, man. That's like a big ass board game that you got right there, son. Like that's you know. Women there's something to be said for, for for playing with those things. Um, I used to run Savage Worlds, like I, so for for a few years. Um, probably like in the middle of my Savage World bender, I was huge into making um, paper craft minis. So like I'd print out all these like basically models of like caves or buildings or like a like I, I did a whole fucking uh, prison one time. And we played with minis and and I didn't really use it as a mini game. It was more just to kind of show representation of where you were in an area. And it paints a picture as long as you're not. I think focused on the area of attack and all this other stuff. And you're just sort of using it like, this is where you're at and this is, this is the corner. And, and it, it cuts down on some of the description part where you can focus on the details of the setting versus something like, like in the prison, but here's the bed. To me, the thing is, is that then you can't focus on the details of the setting because you're looking at a drawing or you're looking at a model. You know, and people are focusing on the model, or they're focusing on the map. Well, that's what I was or saying. On it's the like, toys, as long as you're not doing like the thing where you're like, so third, third, three point five was really famous about that, and fourth edition especially, where it was like, it was a very board gamey, like 
five foot step and threatened areas and this is how you break away from combat and all that shit like if you just sort of use it as a graphical representation like it's on the board you're not focused on it you're just like this is where you're at in relation to somebody else but that's that's why when i do combats i do like x's and o's like i'm coach i'm doing football shit because i'm just like i I try and keep it as abstract as possible so you can think about all that you can picture it in your head if if i'm running like a mean and i'm known for these like vampire shootouts at least i used to be like 10 years ago 15 years ago like you know the guy jumps in he's got like 15 henchmen wearing leather jackets and submachine guns that (laughs) was like my thing and and i needed lots of x's and o's so you knew where they all were but um now i'm just like if it's super complicated you can draw the little arrows and stuff but you don't you certainly don't need to go out and buy like a fucking dwarven forge like castle yeah i don't think you need i think it's i think sometimes it's kind of fun i think sometimes there's like a time and a place where you just have you you want to do that sort of stuff like there's every once in a while I get this itch where I'm like I want to I want to build a bunch of paper craft minis and throw down like a D&D game where you're going and it's not quite a board game but it's it's a little bit more involved and sometimes it's like a scratch that you have. Yeah, I, I, I don't do it though. I mean most of my games I don't I like I most of my games you play on a fucking index card. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about and the last time I gave into that 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 itch I ran out of the abyss and the the second I threw that fucking uh uh map out on the table and started drawing and shit with like my little my little wet erase markers i just felt like it was so tedious i was like oh god damn it kill me now you hit on something though because like i'll get that itch and then like i'll go and i'll play like i didn't i wasn't a big fan of i'm not a big fan of fourth edition like i defend fourth edition all day but i wasn't a fan of it but during that time they put together those D board games and they're just light enough just fun enough that you get that same it scratches almost the same itch because there's all like you said there's all these really great minis it's even the same minis that you buy yeah. for the for the role-playing it's, game it's fun man like it's fun just to sort of do those dungeon crawl board games especially because they put together like they string together adventures so it tells almost like a little story and that's really fun it just depends on the on the game system because some of them are incredibly tactical and crunchy, and I think it helps with those if you want to run them that way and if you're looking to run them that I don't know. I would say it kind of depends on what you want to get out of it. Um, if you want to do a very narrative-style thing and you want to have like Mutineer Zero where it's like, well, there's near, there's like short, there's far, and then you, as long as you know relatively where you are in those zones, oh, and long, like as long as you know relatively where you are in those zones, it's fine, and you don't need to worry about all the, all the details. It's an abstraction. But I mean, I can't imagine trying to run Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder without some kind of a battle mat. Like, I just yeah. I can't imagine trying to run combat in there without a battle mat. Because then why would you run those games? Don't they kind of suck because of that? Don't they intrinsically suck because of that? It depends on what you're looking to get out of it. Some people really like the crunchy combat tactical part of gaming. That's what they come for. But why don't they just play Warhammer? Go play because it will give them that better. Because like on the because Warhammer, you're not playing one guy. You're playing like a whole. You know what I mean? Like there's you don't have that character. Six hundred dollars on minis, right? And it's I I would even argue you know like Warhammer in some ways for a lot of people sucks. Like I don't get out of Warhammer what I want out of it a lot of times. Like I want like a narrative style thing and. You know, I wanted like Death Watch kill teams, and then it's like I go to play it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, if you're not running two cores, three cores, black stars in this formation with it," and it's like that's not what I want. Well, yeah, I mean, I just feel like we got to approach games for what they are. And I was having this conversation with Jamie from from Coliseum Rex the other day, and he and I were talking on Skype, and uh, we were talking about my frustrations with 40k, and he was like, "Oh, bro, it's who you're playing with." And there was aspects of his argument that I agreed with, 
But basically what he was describing to me, what he saw 40K as is like a role-playing game that has a lot of miniatures in it. And good fucking luck finding someone else around here who sees the game that way. Because, I mean, like, literally, I have been turned down for tournament practice games because I didn't want to practice for the right kind of tournament. The tournament I was doing wasn't technical or aggressive enough, you know? And it's just like... See, I avoided tournament play and all that shit. Like, to me, if I am playing Warhammer, I am playing it for a narrative, like... I want it to be narrative and I don't want to have it to be like, well, I went onto a website and I found this optimal like tank that I'm going to field as many of as I can and like dominate because that's all I care about is winning. It's like, no, that's not what I want. I want to be fair. People do that for D and D. No, they do. They do. There are websites for that. There are, there's always someone who wants an advantage or who sees gaming as, uh, as, I win, you lose, yeah. right? They don't see it as collaborative. They see it as a competition. Yeah. It's if I'm not winning, I must be losing. I think, I think my stance, yeah. my stance is more like if, you know, like Brendan was saying that like, you know, you shouldn't be playing a game that does. I don't, I don't think you shouldn't be claim, playing a game like that necessarily. Like if that's your thing, then cool. But I think you're, you're not getting the full role playing experience. If the rules are tied to minis, I think, I think sometimes if you add it for sort of ambiance and flavor, then it's very cool. But the minute you you detach rule sets, like hard rule sets where you're sitting there counting spaces, you're just kind of just narratively doing things with minis. Um, I think that's where like the sweet spot is. I think there is a sweet spot that you can get to if that's your jam. Like if you want to just make stuff or, and, and show it off and, and use it. But the minute that there's like a rule that says you have to do so many steps, like I think that's where you get lost. Well, I mean, like there's, I, I can already hear, like even though this episode hasn't been released, the psychics, <laughs> the psychic screams of all the people who dis- disagree with me are like penetrating space time. They're like hitting me. They're like rending my brain right now. And like I can I can hear some of my friends. And they're yelling things at the at their speakers. Like, like there's no such thing as bad fun. And you can't make rules about what's fun and what's good and what's not. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay, all right. I mean, fine. I I guess it's all just one big melange of different tastes, and we all get to find what's good for us and what's not good for us. But I guess because Michael is asking what's, like, good for me or not good for me, I'm going to say, get those fucking grid maps out of here. I don't want to play D&D. I don't want to see your toys. If somebody wants to hit me up for Warhammer, I'm game. Actually, I'm doing this thing right now called uh, Dead Zone, so hit me up for that. I think if... uh if you have to open up a rule book to play a role-playing game, you shouldn't play it. How about that? Oof, that's that's pretty rough. That's um, some hot takes. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty rough. That's another episode. Um, you gonna huck your GCC book? In the yeah, trash <laughs> when you get home. Yeah, because no, you no, need to open no that book shit. up. No shit, dude. Um, all no, right, I, so I, I think we. I feel like we have time for two more questions if we're quick. Um, there's one here that I promised we would do, and uh, okay, uh, all right, Louis Torso, he's a longtime listener, and he often writes into these mailbag episodes, so I'd like to honor his request. He says, where would you like RPGs to go next, be it system, setting, or ways to play? Do you want something new or to refine what already exists? And I'm going to kind of lead on this one, but I want to hear you guys' thoughts as well. I'm going to try and keep it brief. And here's where I want role-playing to go. Um, I was standing in a RPG store, I think it was like 10 years ago, and I, I had that feeling when you like want to buy a role-playing book, 
So I was kind of like, I had some money burning hole in my pocket and I was looking at all the books. And I realized that all these games were basically offering me variations on a single experience. And that experience is form group, go kill something. Now this is 10 years ago. Since then, things have changed. We started to see a lot of new different types of games coming out that explore different facets of human interaction. And this is very exciting to me because what struck me in that moment was why is role-playing so singular in its vision? It's kind of like when you walk into a comic book store and you see racks and racks and racks of guys in tights beating each other up and you're like, this is a a medium that can talk about like all these different aspects of human experience and yet it focuses so so specifically on this one concept of modern day mythology and we're seeing comic books move away from that in a huge way and i think we're starting to see role-playing games move away from that in a big way and i really want to see role-playing games continue to move away from that i would like there are we, as you and i adam both learned ladros egri uh, uh, the art of dramatic writing drama is conflict and there are so many times of conflict that are not violent and I'm not sitting here and I'm like trying to say some kind of like Mahatma Gandhi like we gotta have pacifist role playing I'm not saying that I still want games that are that are about intense conflict of ideas and personalities but I want to do something other than just kill people all the time. I just want to do something other than hunt and kill and genocidally eradicate. There have been more ideas than that, and I really am waiting for people to, to come up well, with they, them. They are, and and I think you're seeing that, uh, and it's it's the it's the best, most exciting part of gaming right now is you're seeing indie developers make games that are about experiences and about feelings and emotions and experiencing sort of a, a, a very specific target. And uh, a big majority of these are coming from women designers that are, that are finally yeah. getting to shine and give us things that I think, you know, maybe doesn't appeal to like our, the way that we were molded by society to think. And so we're getting different stories and voices. But then you also have games like uh, like that I love, like The Warren. The Warren, you play a bunny rabbit where combat doesn't work for you very well. Like, it just is not mechanically a thing that you can do very well. Um, it's in there, but I think it's in there to more kind of hurt you than anything else. Like, it's just not a good idea to do that. And you see things like in investigative games like Cthulhu Dark. And, and even I took some of that thing where like if you fight a monster you die because Cthulhu you should not be able to fight monsters really and and I think that that's where games need to go is where you you do things that make you evocative of an emotion good bad or indifferent sometimes even doing something very uncomfortable is very good there's a game called Sunshine Boulevard if you know what it is don't tell anybody what it is but check out but if you were interested in playing it and you have somebody that you can play Sunset Boulevard with it's an amazing experience that um, is very unique to role-playing games. Um, Fiasco is another one where it's conflict and it's not about killing things so much as it is about making bad decisions and having shit go worse for you. So, you know, those things I think are where games need to go. And then the, the last part of that is narrative control. The, the paradigm of I am the game master who sits on high and dictates my story to you and then you participate in it, I think is less attractive over time. Um, the more you play that, 
I think eventually you're going to get to a point where like, I don't want to tell your story. I want to tell the story of the character that I envisioned when I, cause whenever we make characters, we all have these grandiose ideas that we want them to be, but then you never get to play that. You have to play the story that somebody gives you. And I think having characters that you create and tell their story along with a story master or a game master who sort of ties that together within a narrative. I think that's, that's the other sweet spot that I think people are starting to hit. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of interesting, you know, there's those the classic conflicts, right? Man versus man, man versus environment, man versus himself. Um, and so what we've seen a lot of is, you know, man versus man or man versus some threat and those kind of things. We're starting to see some of these man versus himself kind of games with like Bluebeard's Brides and everyone is, what is everyone it? Is John. Everyone is John. Um, so that's kind of been an interesting thing. What I don't see a lot of in the role-playing community is just man versus environment, right? Um, there's not a lot of games that do that. There's not a lot of games where it's not like, oh yeah, it's post-apocalyptic and you're just trying to survive. Here's zombies. You know, they throw that in, but it's just like, what if, what if you just made a game about just the struggle to survive? And you're starting to see that happen in, um, video games with things like, uh, don't starve and there's rust. There's all these ones about resource gathering and trying to build up your base and trying to survive in these like harsh, uh, inclement kind of situations. And then they always throw PVP in there because everybody wants to kill each other. Um, but I would like to see more of those just man versus environment type of games. That's part of what uh, intrigues me a lot about uh, Zazarkala is I think that it has uh, a, a, like a, an aspect of that um, or, or could be uh, purposed up one. for that. Yeah, a, a dark, so horrible cool. one yeah. and grim. Um, but I, I think you could probably run entire sessions of that that are just about surviving in that world and not about like, I have to go kill the dragon, you know? Um I, yeah, I mean, more. I have to go get like food and water, otherwise I I starve. Two titles, uh, Quiet Year and Perseverance. Are about you see, that. the thing is though, is like when you say things like the Quiet Year and Jamie from Calcium Rex and I, we both have this kind of thing about what what Jamie calls parlor games, like our parlor games, role playing games, and I don't really want to get into it right now, but the, I will point out. A lot. Of, some of these games we're talking about are like single session only, kind of like, and they're and they don't really have a character. You're like drawing a map together and stuff like that. And I mean, I do still want, I do still want these games that offer different experiences to be about like characters and stuff that you can inhabit. Like for instance, Umlaut. I was stoked when Umlaut came out because I've for a long time. Here's a challenge to you designers out there, if there's any designers listening. I want a game about being in a band, okay? Like, there, there is no place more rife with conflict than five musicians trying to figure out how to get on the same page together creatively. Right? It's a, a fucking pain in the ass. So what is, like, so, like, Fiasco, one of my favorite games I've ever played Fiasco was about a band, and it was amazing. And then you do it again, do that band in a different situation. And so you can sort of continue the narrative that way, and that's sort of a parlor game, but it's really good. And then... Secondly to that, you have other things that are more trad games like Torchbearer is all about about managing resources and fear and, and starvation. And then you have um, you have it right there, uh, Sword Crown and Unspeakable Power is Game of Thrones. And the game I'm going to play very soon, Pendragon, which everyone is raving about, is, is about sort of knightlyhood. And, and Tor- Torchbearer and, and Scup are both still kind of like a little bit entrenched in that like, okay, we're, we're people with swords and we're going to go out into the, we're going to go out into the woods and oh, the wolves have come and now we got to swing on the wolves and stuff like that. There, there are still elements of that. It's a little bit close, a little bit closer, but they are both kind of like non-conventional takes on, on fantasy tropes and so they are moving away from we might call it traditional role playing. I would just like to, before we move on to the next question, just throw something out. 
to let everybody kind of simmer on their minds, is heroic role-playing synonymous with toxic masculinity? Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Bonus episode. Just, just let that simmer in your gourd for a second. You ever met anybody who goes, oh, we're, we're heroes. You know, the kind of guy who goes, we're heroes, not adventurers. And you immediately are like, you narrow your eyes at this guy. What the fuck is this guy talking about? Anyway, um, let's see. I had one last question. This one's for Adam. And then we're going to peace out. Uh, the homie, the Fenris Wolf's got to know, man. What does Jerry Cocaine's character sheet look like? It's on there. Jerry Cocaine is a Vampire the Masquerade character. He is a bruja. He is Whoa. going to be probably... Uh, I'm going to put him around 10th generation. Um, and he's obviously going to be bumped into uh, potence and celerity. He doesn't need presence. He's got his natural <laughs> Jared Cocaine <laughs> physical presence to uh, to drive it across. Uh, he's got the katana. He's got the trench coat. He's got the Uzi um, and the sunglasses at night. Definitely. And and the ponytail, I think. And the, and that is how I would do a Jared Cocaine character. Uh, primary, uh, physical, secondary, social, and tertiary mental. Because he doesn't need mental when he's got swords. Who knew? <laughs> um, let's see. My take? My, I agree in a lot of ways. I think he's probably, he's probably a domp here, though. Like, he's probably a revenant. So he started out... But from a special revenant line that uh, that the player that the player who plays Jericho Kane wrote, and you have to if you're going to play Jericho Kane, you have to write your own you have to write your own ghoul revenant line that only you know about, right? You were embraced at eighth generation, but then you dialed your sire down to seventh. You are also a werewolf, so you are an abomination. Clan doesn't matter as long as you have potence, celerity, fortitude, and protean. Abominations have all those mental like problems though they get all of the but you see the the background of his uh of his revenant uh family oh, he doesn't suffer from that problem he doesn't suffer from that because go. they're also kinfolk oh there you go nice yes and two two katanas silver edged silver bullets uh and then and this guys this is from real life all of his clips are alternating Armor piercing. Uh, armor piercing. Hollow point. Uh, hollow point. Armor piercing. Hollow point. Armor. This. That's. I'm picturing like Jim Lee drawing like pouches, <laughs> like or Rob Liefeld. Yeah, the Liefeld was the pouch. Yeah, li- Liefeld and pouches and a leather trench coat. That's what I'm thinking. Like and, Jim and, Lee was just like the absurdly muscled guys. Like, hey, Jim Lee, draw Cyclops. His nickname is Slim, and Jim Lee's like, sure. And you're like, he looks like a bodybuilder. And Jim Lee's like, I don't see is. a problem. No, more, yeah, more, more, uh, more, more Liefeld. I'm seeing a guy with trench coats and lots of pockets and just ultimate badass. So, um, if you wrote a question in and it did not get answered, then. Too bad. No, I'm kidding. I will write you back and I'm going to answer your questions. Adam, yes. you want to take us out, homie? All right. If you would like to interact with Full Metal RPG, find us on Instagram at Full Metal RPG. You can find us on Facebook, Full Metal RPG. Do a search. Come right up. If you'd like to email us, Full Metal RPG official at gmail.com. 
can find us on Patreon, do a search for Full Metal RPG. We are going to be bringing you actual plays in the near future. So if you want to vote on that poll, get on it. Get out there and do it right now. Right now. We'll wait. This second. This second. Uh, and as always, you can go to our website, FullMetalRPG.com, where we post the episodes and any reviews that we write on games. And if you'd like to find us in person, come see us at Crit Hits. It's coming up July. First week of July. Thir- second second week, week of July. You're right. 13th, 14th, 15th. We will be there. Come find us. And we will be having a great time. And we would love to see you. And if we'll be at Gen Con, we'll be at Gen Con. Come find us there, too. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. It's been a great episode. It's always great to spend time with you. Have a good night. Good night. Mm-hmm.